0: Welcome back to the Real Life Theology Podcast. This is Chris. Thank you for joining us again today. We've been working through our 2022 breakout sessions from our national gathering. In this episode, Jeff Fall teaches on the importance of the Psalms. Now, Jesus really points back to them and uses a lot of what's in the Psalms as leadership principles that we can take forward with us. Jeff Fall is asking you to give this awesome book of prayer, poetry, devotionals and hymns, another chance when it comes to leadership and discipleship. It's really easy to look at the book of Psalms and Proverbs and not think of, oh, it's going to help me with leadership. But he really helps reframe that and put that into a practical sense for pastors and leaders today.
1: But I think we're going to go ahead and get started. And if you were looking for um, a workshop today that the room felt like a meat locker, where you like air conditioned, you picked the Pick the right place today. So I see some of you already put some outer garments on. Probably a, a, a wise move. My name's Jeff Fall. I'm from uh, Mooresville, Indiana, the church at Mount Gilead. Been there for about 34 years. Uh, I'm a part of the, uh, Renew with the learning communities. And uh, thankful to have this opportunity to share today. Uh, and I want to start with a question. As a disciple maker, as a disciple maker leader, where would you go... If you wanted to learn more about leadership in the Bible, I mean, if you were starting uh, leading a group or to study leadership, so which book of the Bible would you go to to learn about leadership? Maybe start with the prophets, uh, messengers who stood before kings and they pointed the way to God. You'd look at something like Nehemiah, which is a great leadership book in the Bible. Or would you go to Proverbs, Wisdom of Solomon, Wise Sayings, Leadership Maxims? Uh, Would you go to the Judges? Those people who fearfully or fearlessly led Israel when chaos reigned and there was no uh, king in Israel. Or would you go to the Gospels, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, to see how Jesus did it. Or the Acts of the Apostles, the unleashing of the twelve to lead the early church, and you could trace that path and you could learn something about leadership. Or would you go to the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus, A source complete with specific instructions for church polity. These things are written so that you might know how to conduct yourself in the household of God. If you were considering a book of the Bible to help you with leadership, let me ask you this. Would the Psalms make your short list? Probably not. So if you're looking for a book of the Bible for leadership, the Psalms might not even make your short list. I mean, when you think of Psalms, maybe you think of the 23rd Psalm and green pastures and still waters and uh, devotional things and memory verses and greeting cards and comforting people in the hospital, and the nursing homes and the graveside. And, you know, there's a little bit more to Psalms than that. It's a hymn book and it's a diary and it's a book of prayer and it's a book of poetry. In fact, I read about a fifth grader who was participating in an adventures and creative writing session. And uh, he didn't want to do one of his assignments. And the assignment this fifth grader didn't want to do was he was asked to write a poem. And he thought poetry was ridiculous and he didn't want to write a poem. So he decided instead to write down his objections to this poetry assignment. And this is what the fifth grader turned in. I hate poetry. Poetry looks like a demon rising. I don't want to do this. Poetry sounds like nails on a chalkboard. I still don't want to do this. Poetry smells like skunk spray times seven. I still do not want to do this. Poetry tastes like rotten eggs with human brains. I will never do this again. Poetry feels like being frozen by a freeze ray. Doesn't everybody hate poetry? And the literary reporter made this assessment. This fifth grader's sense of rhythm and repetition... His finely controlled metaphors, his commitment to meta-artistic honesty, admitting that he was already doing this by crossing out and revising the declaration that he wouldn't, all contribute to an expertly wrought result. And if there was any justice in this world, he would be teaching in a Master of Fine Arts program right now. Some people might feel that way about poetry, but what I'm asking you to do in the few moments we share together is to give this book of poetry in the Psalms another chance when it comes to leadership and discipleship. What if we had the time to go through all 150 Psalms again, but this time with leadership and discipleship eyes, and as a result, we would quickly answer the question, what value does the Psalms have in leadership and discipleship? Why should we spend any time in the Psalms when it comes to this subject? And I wanna give you a couple answers to that question. First, we should spend some time in the Psalms because of the language and the vocabulary and the themes of the Psalms. Psalms is steeped in the language and vocabulary and concepts and themes of leadership. Human leadership examples abound, but the overall theme is the ultimate leadership of God and his anointed. And so we read about leading and following and guiding and God-anointed, God-appointed leadership. It's a different paradigm for the Psalms. But there's an even bigger reason for us to care about this. Because discipleship is one of the highest, purest, noblest, most indispensable forms of leadership. It's the way Jesus led. And if leadership is influence, like the definition so often says, then discipleship is leadership. In other words, when you attend a leadership seminar, it may not be about discipleship, but when you attend a discipleship seminar, in some sense, it is about leadership. And Jesus, the master leader, the master discipler, used the Psalms more than he did any other book. In fact, Jesus used the Psalms for discipleship. When he confronted the Pharisees with the Psalms, he was discipling his followers on our recognizing call of hypocrisy. When he spoke Psalms to the two on the road to Emmaus, he was discipling them in regard to his purpose from Scripture. When he uttered Psalm 22 and Psalm 31 from the cross, he was actually discipling his people on faith in the crucible of pain and distress, and he was entrusting his soul into the Father's hands. When Jesus quoted the Psalms after the Lord's Supper, he was discipling his followers on the use of Scripture. When he quoted Psalm 35, he was discipling the 12 on the attitude that the world would have toward them. When he prayed the Psalms, he was discipling by modeling prayer. And by the way, try reading the Lord's Prayer sometimes along with selected Psalms. So I say it again. Jesus used the Psalms for discipleship. Now, often when we study the Psalms, we really don't know how to divide them up, and it really doesn't work to just go verse by verse through the Psalms because there are different genres of literature within the Psalms. Uh, Sometimes we look at the Psalms as a hymn book. Sometimes we look at it as a book of prayers. Sometimes we look at it as a book of poetry. We might even look at it as a book of stories because there are historical Psalms, a book of instruction a diary, the personal diary of the psalmist, a theology book. Uh, if you're looking at the imprecatory psalms, the, the, it's a book of curses. We don't very often think of it as a book of leadership. I was just thinking about this the other day, and if you're familiar with Renew's ministry, Uh, you know, there are seven discipleship rhythms that often get talked about. Prayer and fasting, inviting other people along, eating together, serving humanity, lifelong learning, regular resting, and maturing and multiplying. Those themes are seen throughout the Psalms. The Psalms are one of the most underutilized discipleship tools God gave us, and perhaps one that Jesus used the most prominently of all. So Just the language and the vocabulary and the themes of psalms would lead us to look at psalms as a book of leadership. Number two, and I find this fascinating, because of the leadership background of the composers of the psalms. Maybe you've never thought about this, but each psalmist was a leader in his own right. Now, we would obviously immediately see that about David, right? David's greatest leadership moments. You might think of his battle against Goliath. Uh, You might think of uh, when he was on the run and he had his band of 400 men. You might think of the time when he took on the battle of Ziklag. You might think of the 30 mighty men that David had that served him and met his needs. David was a leader of leaders, but David was not the only psalmist. Solomon, we know he wrote Psalm 72 and Psalm 127. Uh, We remember his famous prayer. People would come from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And when we think of Solomon in leadership, we, all, we also think of his leadership failures. Another uh, psalmist is Moses. We know Moses wrote Psalm 90. Have you ever considered the leadership accomplishment of Moses? I He started with a ride down the Nile, then a scheduled, structured up bringing in Pharaoh's palace, then responsibilities as he was educated in all the ways of the Egyptians. Then a failed attempt to rescue his people and in a heartburn. Uh, He is on the run for murder. Life came at him fast, then 40 years in the desert, then marriage, then children, then marital conflict, then the burning bush, then appointments with the king, then the plagues and the Passover night, then the exodus, then the Red Sea, then Sinai, then the commandments, then the golden calf, then food and logistical problems, then rebellion, then murmurings, then the tabernacle construction project, and then the the needs and conflicts of over a million people, and the serpents and death and uprisings and battle strategies and the pressure and temptation of remarriage and family health issues and personal suffering sin consequences, successor training, all the God contacts and devil attacks in between. All kinds of leader, leadership lessons from the life of Moses. So every one of the uh, psalmists, every one of the authors of the psalms is a leader in his own right. So we have David and Solomon and Moses, and then we got this guy named Asaph, who's known as the chief musician, and if you know anything about Davidic worship, what what an incredible responsibility of leadership he had. Along with him, Heman and Ethan, they wrote Psalm uh, Psalm 89. Listen to what Scripture says about them in First Corinthians chapter four and verse, or First Kings chapter four, verse twenty-nine. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind, like the sand that's on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezrahite, Heman, Kalkal, and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was known in all the surrounding nations. I mean, if you look at Asaph and Heman and Ethan, and you look at the responsibilities that they had in Davidic worship, I mean, these people would make the Gaither dynasty look like amateurs. They had incredible leadership responsibilities. So we have David, the leader, Solomon, the leader, Moses, the leader, Asaph, the leader, Heman and Ethan, They, they all were authors of the Psalms and they were all tremendous leaders in their own right. And then we have some other Psalms that are written by people we call the sons of Korah. Psalm 42, Psalm 43, Psalm 45, Psalm 46, Psalm 49, and Psalm 84. Do you recognize that name? The sons of Korah, number 16, Korah the son of Izhar, the son of Koheth, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab and Om, the sons of Peleth, the sons of Reuben, took action, and they rose up before Moses together with some of the sons of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, chosen in the assembly, men of renown. So the background of the sons of Korah is leaders of renown. Even though they were rebellious leaders, they were the ones that rose up against Moses. And they're mentioned 10 chapters later in Numbers 26. Verse 9, the sons of Eliab, Nemuel, and Dathan and Abiram, these are the Dathan and the Abiram who were called by the congregation who contended against Moses and against Aaron in the company of Korah when they contended against the Lord. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up along with Korah when that company died and the fire devoured 250 men so that they became a warning. And then it adds this. The sons of Korah, however, did not die. The psalmist even refers to this in Psalm 106. So, so here's what I'm trying to say. You can't name an author of the Psalms that didn't come from a leadership background or was not some kind of tremendous leader in their own right. So the reason we would even take time to think of the psalms in a leadership and discipleship context is not only because of the vocabularies and the themes in the psalm, but because of the leadership background of the composers of the psalms. Let me give you a third reason. Because of the leaders mentioned incidentally in the psalms. Uh, Leaders like... Aaron and Phineas and Joseph. Did you know we actually learn some things about that great man Joseph in the Psalms that we don't learn in the book of Genesis or anywhere else in the Bible? And leadership's an interesting theme to look for as you read through the Psalms with a different set of eyes. Number four, because of the diverse types of leadership in the Psalms, there's shepherd leadership and priestly leadership and royal leadership and Warrior military leadership and servant leadership and spiritual leadership, divine leadership, political leadership, family leadership, judge leadership, self-leadership. And so I say it again, discipleship is one of the highest, purest, noblest, most indispensable forms of leadership. It's the way Jesus led, and if leadership is influenced, then discipleship is leadership. Reason number five, because of the leadership victories, failures, and insights. In the Psalms. Again, I would ask you to read through all the Psalms with these thoughts in mind, and what you'll find is that the Psalms are prayers of powerful leaders to the all powerful leader. That's the way I like to think of the Psalms. The the Psalms are prayers of powerful leaders to the all powerful leader. So if you want to learn to pray as a leader, you go to the Psalms, you pray the Psalms. Jesus lived in, as, as M.T. Wright said, in a psalm-soaked world. I love that. Your Lord lived in a psalm-soaked world. His thoughts, words, and viewpoints reflect and harmonize the teaching of the psalms. And we have to see the wisdom and the beauty and the divine truth of the psalms as they inform and shape our leadership and discipleship efforts, especially now in this, what, what do we call it, a VUCA culture, it's uh, volatile, and it's uncertain, and it's ambiguous, and it's complex, in a in a time of polarization, and pandemics, and <clears throat> politics, and pride, and prejudice, and, and poverty, it is easy for us, even disciples who are making disciples, it is easy for us to lose our equilibrium. Have you ever lost your equilibrium, felt confused, and disoriented, not, not knowing which way to go? Um, and maybe you feel like Lot in the Old Testament. It says daily his righteous soul was vexed. Do you, do you ever live in this culture and your righteous soul is just vexed? You, you, you feel like you're losing your equilibrium. You know, underwater divers tell us of being in such deep water and becoming disoriented. They're not able to discern direction or to sense which ways up and which ways down. And there's no visual points of reference. And they don't know if they're ascending or descending and many of them die because of panic because they've lost their equilibrium. Or, or maybe we would use the example of a pilot. Pilots, they relate to us the experience of confusion and vertigo and spatial disorientation, unable to perceive the movement or the position of the aircraft accurately and they don't know their direction or proximity to the ground. Uh, Even mountain climbers, sometimes at high altitude, uh, suffering from oxygen deprivation can hallucinate and they become disoriented and delusional with severe consequences. And, of course, there are those who are under the influence. Chemically altered states can disrupt a person's equilibrium and and perception. Even health conditions like ear imbalance conditions, vertigo, lack of oxygen, all affects our perception. Maybe you remember when you were a, a child and you would stand in the middle of the room, you remember this? And you would just spin around as fast as you could for as long as you could till you got dizzy and then you would stagger to the couch and and fall down and then you would get up and you'd spin around and around, you'd do it all over again to have that dizzy feeling till you fall down on the couch again. Maybe you remember doing that. And Now you're old and you don't even have to spin around. All you gotta do is get up off the couch and you feel that disorientation. Well, spiritual leadership vertigo is a real thing. And I think most of us have sensed it. When when your life isn't what you think it ought to be, and the grind is so daily and the passion is gone, and losing your equilibrium can put you in a place where you make wrong decisions and responses, and it compounds your inaccurate perspectives, and, and you can end up with undesirable or even tragic results, and you wonder what's true. Unanswered questions nag in the back of your mind, and you feel barraged by an onslaught of opinion and voices. And the pressures of life have long ago surpassed your ability to manage. And, and maybe you feel like you're out of step with everybody else or you're just a dinosaur and you're constantly questioning yourself. And life and discipleship isn't supposed to be like this. And you're saying to yourself, I know his way is true, but it's not working right now. And maybe your dreams have been sidelined and even turned into nightmares. And you know, quite honestly, you say, I don't, I don't know which way is up. What do you do when you don't know what to do? How do you think when you don't know how to think? Where do you turn when you don't know where to turn? Who do you listen to when you don't know who to believe? Equilibrium. Getting our bearings, restoring balance and sanity and awareness to life, navigating the direction God has for us so that we don't crash and burn spiritually. We're looking for fixed points of reference, trustworthy landmarks that can help us focus on regaining our spiritual positioning and equilibrium and direction, reliable markers and signposts to help us make sense of where we are and where we're going.
0: Winston Churchill said, we shape our buildings and afterwards our buildings shape us. As a ministry leader, you know your space matters and you want it to be engaging and effective, but maybe you're not really sure how to make that happen. I'm Abby Barris, designer and ministry veteran, and I'd love to help you figure that out. You can find me at abbybarrisinteriors.com or at churchdesignhelp.com to learn more about how to begin shaping your spaces for intentional discipleship.
1: I was uh, conversing with a, a young mother recently, and she said that one night, um, her six-year-old couldn't sleep. And so he came into her room and told her that he couldn't sleep. And she asked him why he couldn't sleep. And he said, I can't go to sleep because my mind won't stop thinking. And she said, well, what is your mind thinking about? And he said, my mind is thinking about everything. You, you, You ever been there? When the cacophony of voices and opinions overwhelm and The tachometer of your soul and spirit is redlined for too long when everything you've thought and sought and bought and taught and got is in question. In a culture where right is called wrong and wrong is pronounced right and good is evil and evil is good and truth is false and lies are true and light is dark and dark is light and love is hate and hate is love. When everything that is not nailed down is coming loose, even the things that we have formerly were nailed down in a day when we are moving the boundaries that our fathers have set without asking why those boundaries have been set there in the first place. When life seems completely upended and you're in emotional free fall and it appears that normalcy no longer exists. And one of the best places to turn when you need to restore equilibrium is in the Psalms. Because in the Psalms, the people of God recall and express multiple moments of profound confusion and loss of spiritual perception and its recovery, and they, the Psalms, they take us by the hand and they lead us through the bewilderment. Something that's totally changed the way I seek balance and navigate life with Scripture and in discipling other people came from uh, the writings of a, of a scholar that sometimes... Uh, I wouldn't agree with, but he's very helpful in this regard. His name's Walter Brueggemann, and he simply suggested a threefold designation or framework for the Psalms, that in simple layman's terms, there are really only three kinds of Psalms. And by the way, I read this from another author as well, and both of them claim to originate it, and so I don't know who, who came up with it. Psalms of orientation, Psalms of disorientation, and Psalms of new orientation. Psalms of orientation, psalms of disorientation, and psalms of new orientation. And of course, those three kinds of psalms remind us of three leadership realities. And the first one is this, the reality of orientation. And when we talk about the Psalms of orientation, we're talking about the existence of order and coherence and rightness and simplicity and dreams, a sense that everything is as it should be and how it's supposed to be. There's consistency and there's constancy and there's stability and there is security. And we love those Psalms of orientation. We love them until they mock us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I have been young and now I'm old, but I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging for bread. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You'll be happy and it'll be well with you and your family will be around your table. And behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or the arrow that flies by day or the pestilence that stalks in darkness or the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not approach you. You'll only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked for you have made the Lord your refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place, and no evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. Beautiful, right? But it doesn't take long to see how we could get in deep trouble here if we only stay and we only live in the Psalms of Orientation. If all I ever read is the Psalms of Orientation, if all I ever anticipate is a life of orientation, I will never be able to handle the disorientation when it comes. And if I only camp out here in the Psalms of Orientation, I'm going to run the risk of several things. First, of naivete, Pollyannish, totally oblivious to the reality of sin, suffering, a fallen world, and personal privilege. I'm going to run the risk of denial. When the bad stuff happens, I'm going to say, well, this doesn't happen, this can't happen, this won't happen, this isn't really happening. It didn't happen. I'm going to run the risk of the loss of my faith. This isn't true. God won't keep his promises. I tried to do right, and this is what I get. I quit. I'm going to run the risk of legalism. Scripture is a list of rules and outcomes. Everything is transactional. If you get something bad happen to you, you must deserve it because everything is reward and punishment based. Or I'll have a contractual attitude toward God. God, I'll do this and you do that. Or at worst, I will, I will lack compassion and empathy. Oh, that happened to you? Sorry about your luck. Glad it's not me. Stinks to be you. That's why we should read the parts of the Bible we don't like, along with the parts that we do like. So the Psalms of Orientation are wonderful, but that's only part of the story with the Psalms. The second leadership reality is the reality of disorientation. And by the way, you can see how these are discipleship realities. Because as we're discipling people, we have to help them understand these realities. And the psalmist shows the reality of disorientation, confusion. Disappointment, Disillusionment, pain, chaos, broken, unresolved, uh, uncertainty, and doubt. One of the most famous psalms, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I, I cry by day, but you don't answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Yet, yet you are holy, you who are enthroned on the praises of Israel. Psalm 38. There's no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There's no health in my bones because of my sin. My iniquities are gone over my head. As a heavy burden, they weigh too much for me. My wounds grow foul, and they fester because of my folly, and I'm bent over and greatly bowed down, and I go mourning all day long. Psalm 12, the wicked strut around on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. Listen to what one author says in commenting on this. Much Christian piety and spirituality is romantic and unreal in its positiveness. As children of the Enlightenment, we have censored and selected around the voice of darkness and disorientation, seeking to go from strength to strength and from victory to victory. But such a way not only ignores the Psalms, it is a lie in terms of our experience the Psalms are profoundly subversive of the dominant culture which wants to deny and cover over the darkness we are called to enter. In other words, it's not just green pastures. It's beds of tears and sounds of groaning and days of darkness and broken bones and hearts and dreams. In the Psalms, there are Humpty Dumpty days. This isn't just about tragedy and suffering. It's about boredom and realizations and growth and disillusionment and change in life. The Psalms take us to those, I believe, help my unbelief places. And it doesn't take long to see if we only live in those Psalms, and the Psalms of disorientation, we could get jaded and we could lose perspective. Sometimes we might be in those Psalms for extended periods, but we can't lose sight of the other realities. So recently, uh, I read about uh, two different individuals. Uh, One was a 20-year-old guy named Dylan McWilliams, who already in his young life has been bitten by a snake, mauled by a bear, and attacked by a shark. So he's 20 years old, and he's been bitten by a snake, mauled by a bear, and attacked by a shark. But then there's this Canadian guy that I read about, Heng Kun Shum and he celebrated his birthday and he retired and he bought a winning two million dollar lottery ticket all on the same day. I mean, can you imagine that all on the same day? Celebrate your birthday, retire from your job, and win two million bucks in the lottery. I have a sneaking suspicion that those two individuals might have very differing perspectives on life right now. Even if they both believe Psalm 23 shadows of death, green pastures. So these are, these are leadership realities for us, the reality of orientation and the reality of disorientation, and then the third reality is the reality of reorientation. And that's where everything's new and different. There's potential and realignment. Things, now that you've been through orientation and disorientation, things are deeper and bigger and more inclusive. There's realization. It's complex. It's much like what David Young was saying to us in his talk today. Psalm 42 gives us an example. Uh, verse 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. O my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Nazar, deep calls to deep. At the sound of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. And the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and his song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. And once more, that might not be where we, where we stay. The cycle can start all over again. This new orientation's deeper and it's more understanding, but these three realities are played out over and over and over again in scripture and in life. Brueggemann says, The life of faith expressed in the Psalms is focused on the two decisive moves of faith which are always underway, by which we are regularly surprised, and which we regularly resist. Out of a season of orientation into a season of disorientation. And from a context of disorientation to a new orientation. A new coherence made present to us just when we thought all Was lost. And for those who lead in discipleship and helping other people to follow Jesus, we can help them with the Psalms. The Psalms, one of the greatest leadership books in the Bible. Orientation, we enjoy it and express it. Disorientation, we expect it and we express it. Reorientation, we enter it and we express it. And as a, a leader who is into the second half and further in my opportunities to share, I wish that I had considered the lifeline of the Psalms much earlier in life because they are indispensable. They help bear the burden of church discipline, the pain of church conflict, the concern for church finances, the responsibility of wayward disciples, the The criticisms and complaints of dissatisfied church members, the disappointment of discipling failures, but also the joy of church harmony and the thrill of church growth, the adrenaline of church health, the beauty of church relationships, and the power of church purpose. This is your brain on psalms. Now, one of the things that is most helpful is to simply appropriate some of the psalms uh, for yourself, and pray them to god now, my my son, who's here uh, with me today, was just talking on the way here how Psalm one is a beautiful picture of the goal of discipleship in the very first psalm, and you can appropriate those psalms and pray them yourself. They are the prayer, as we said at the beginning. They are the prayers of great leaders to the ultimate leader himself. And we can certainly borrow those prayers. But sometimes we can uh, write our own, if you will. And so in, in, uh, in conclusion here today, before we have time for a few uh, uh, comments or questions, I, I want to share with you just a few words in this, re- this regard, a, a prayer to God. O oh God, to you I cry, fix my broken, fill my empty. Calm my raging, drown my demons, heal my disease, help my unbelief, restore my soul, help me see, touch my heart, take my hurt, open my ears, hold my hand, lift me up, set me free, silence my accusers, meet my needs, answer my questions, erase my fears, rebuke my wrong, forgive my sin, search my heart, make me whole, cleanse my way. Clear my conscience, guide my steps, renew my mind, carry my burdens, correct my emotions, take my life, feel my suffering, possess my being, be my joy, be my peace, show me love, loose my lips, raise me up, be my Lord, be my everything, satisfy my soul and save me. Let your living water flow down through the hard cracked soil of me and quench my thirst and let your bread be multiplied to fill my empty soul and let your light shine through the darkness that shrouds my heart and illumine me, reorient my heart and soul and mind to the reality of you, and only then can I follow, and only then can I lead. So I hope these thoughts on leadership and discipleship in the Psalms and the value in the Psalms in this regard have been helpful for you today.
0: Thank you again for joining the Real Life Theology Podcast. Again, my name is Chris. I'm really blessed and honored to be able to serve here at Renew. Make sure to join in on Thursday. We're going to have a brand new breakout session rolling out again. So make sure to tune in for that.